Welcome to Dialogues in Afro-Latinidad, a podcast dedicated to amplifying and elevating Afro-Latin American and Afro-Latinx histories, cultures, and communities. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Reed Vasquez. Join us for conversations with experts and artists to learn more about Afro-Latinidad. Venga. I'm delighted to welcome today's guest, Dr. Erica Denise Edwards. Dr. Edwards is an associate professor of Latin American history at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. She has recently published a book, Hiding in Plain Sight, Black Women, the Law, and the Making of a White Argentine Republic, which is a gendered analysis of Black erasure and the construction of race in Argentina. It has won numerous awards, including the 2021 Western Association of Women Historians Barbara Penny Canner Book Award, the 2020 Association of Black Women Historians Letitia Woods Brown Book Prize, and named one of 2020's Best Books on Black History by Black Perspectives of the African American Intellectual History Society. Dr. Edwards has been interviewed and consulted by The World Bank, The Guardian, The New York Review of Books, The New York Times, National Geographic, and La Voz del Interior. Her research advocates for a relearning of Argentina's Black past and the origins of anti-Blackness. Her advocacy extends to the community engagement arena where she currently serves as a member of the Board of Directors for Latin Americans Working for Achievement. Welcome, Erica. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Michelle, for this uh, great opportunity. Thank you so much. So let's jump right in. So you, I have learned, are an army brat and you lived in Florida and England and Michigan. And so how did these early experiences shape your professional interests in Afro-Latin American communities? Well, I do have to correct you. Not army, air force. Oh oh my God, I'm so sorry. Air force, air force. My mom and dad would say, we would be like, oh my goodness, not the army. So my yes. apologies, my apologies. No, no Air problem. Force. But yes, the Air Force, the Air Force, both of them were in, um, enlisted in the Air Force. And I think um, those experiences, just, just being a part of that, that very, um, I guess I would say it's, it's, a, it's a unique kind of bubble, I guess, growing up in the military. Um, I think what it did was it allowed me to be very comfortable in what some people may consider uncomfortable spaces mm. and being okay with getting to know people that are completely different from you. I mean, when I think about some of the neighbors that we had, I mean, it was always a diverse um, hodgepodge of peoples and, you know, living on base, base housing. And, I, and now I am so appreciative of that. When I hear how people lived in, you know, predominantly or only black or only white or only Latina, I'm like, man, that's, you know, you're missing out on learning so many different, excuse me, cultures and, and perspectives and, and doing this as kids. So there's also an innocence there where we weren't, you know, saddled with all the stuff that, you know, eventually you learn about, you know, unfortunately, the the legacies of race and, and such. And, um, but yeah, I think that's what made it, made it, made my, my, my um, childhood very, uh, very unique. And uh, it's something that when I talk with other military brats that um, 
we just get, and there's just a, a level of being comfortable with other people. And, and with the notion, I guess that, you know, what is the larger objective? What is, what is, what is, what are we trying to accomplish? Mm-hmm. And putting aside differences, but more importantly, getting to know people that are different and seeing common, you know, experiences, the humanity in others, which <laughs> I can vocalize that now, but when I have to think about it, it's that's, that's what I think was the advantage. Mm-hmm. truly the advantage I mean golly my first friend was you know that I remember in life when I was five as a Korean you know and then we had a Jewish family that lived across the street from I mean we had everybody it was it was wonderful yeah that kind of experience I think really does prepare you for going out into the world and engaging people as you say on this kind of human level and not thinking about all these areas of exclusion that you're all just thrown together to yeah. to work it out Exactly, exactly. And so I know we were talking earlier, and I know that you're passionate about telling the stories of the African diaspora. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about why you were drawn to these to this particular area, especially for Latin America and how it informs your, your research and your teaching. So picture it. I was, um, it's definitely a personal experience. I, I originally wanted to be a secondary education teacher. And uh, the school I went to required that you do 20, 25 hours of volunteer work in a classroom to, before you could apply for the school of ed, which I think is, is great because after six hours, I was, I, this was not for me. Wow. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, and so I was at a, I was, but I was supposed to graduate within a semester because I had done everything for the school of ed. So, um, I remember roughly, it's like everything was aligning. And I remember roughly um, one of my professors at the time was also, you know, Erica, you're never going to improve your Spanish unless you go abroad. And so it kind of aligned. I said, well, I'm not going to the school ed. I got a semester or two left and I got to, you know, I got to do something else. And so I said, I'm going to go abroad and then we'll figure it out from there. And I chose um, Argentina um, simply because it was not the program that everyone else was going to, which at that time was a Mexican exchange program that we had established uh, with the universities. And I said, I don't want to go with people I already know to another country. What what benefit am I going to get out of that? And then I heard that there were some cute boys or, you know, good looking boys <laughs> in Argentina. And I said, okay, this is where I'm going then. And there that's all go. I knew about the country. And I was, I was gone three months later, you know, the following semester. Wow. And um, it was while I was there that, you know, I was, I had a major culture shock because I didn't do my research ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm walking on the street after a certain point, I'm like, okay, where are the black people at? Like, seriously, <laughs> no, but seriously, where yeah, are you? Right, right. <laughs> um, I'm like, okay, I have taken history class. I know slavery happened everywhere in the America. So where are the people that look like me? And it took until what? No, almost a month before I finally saw someone who looked like me. And then I, I did the craziest thing and I saw her and she was carrying her little boy at the time. And I ran up to her and uh, she was getting out of a cab, I think. And so I ran up to her. 
on the street in the middle of broad daylight. And I was just like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And, 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 and I was just, you know, my Spanish wasn't very good. So the best thing I could do was point to my skin oh and my. say, me, me, uh-huh. and then point to her skin and say, you, you, me, oh me, God. you, you. <laughs> oh my goodness. What, how um, does she respond to you? She first, like, like, kind of recoiled like she's this woman's crazy and protected her baby her name is Celia and so she was protecting her baby I said after I saw she recoiled away from me I said no crazy no crazy no crazy (laughs) yeah I'm sure that reassured her (laughs) and she was just like and I and then with my very broken Spanish somehow she got I was from the United States studying abroad um and she somehow calmed down. And then I believe it's because there had been a previous black woman who she was friends with named Sarah that she had told me about later on. Okay. And so she she kind of then figured out what, where, what I was doing there. And we became fast friends over the six months I was there um, in, our, in Buenos Aires at the time. That was my first trip to, to Argentina. And then I think a month later, then the next crop of exchange students came. And that's when um, a few uh, American Blacks like myself then were in Argentina. And then I was able to be like, okay, okay, okay. I can work on this now. I can be okay. But it ended up being the best six months of my life at the time. But it was also, I was awestruck of the fact that there was nobody who looked like me at all just super very 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 white and that is with that question that you know ultimately propelled me into the career I have today so as I tell people sometimes it's you know a lot of no's are just directing you into the the path and and the way and the journey that you're supposed to take and uh looking back I could see that at the time I was very frustrated what I'm going to do with my life I can't be a secondary ed teacher I'm gonna kill these kids I'm gonna go to jail I know it so I can't do that and then and then what I'm gonna do I'm about to graduate I don't know what to do you know da, 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 you know and and so in the end it was literally just you know things were lining for me to go in that direction well I'm uh, so glad they did <laughs> and, I, and I do and I just out of curiosity the the woman you mentioned did she does she tell the story of uh, does she tell the story of, of of being the magnet for all these black Americans? I don't are... I don't know. I know I don't know. I think we just it, maybe so. I, I think it was just also coincident this that she even had that experience, you know. <laughs> I'm so grateful um, for her. And I would just sometimes go to her house. Now here's what's interesting. She's from Brazil. She was from Brazil. Oh. And her English was non-existent. My Portuguese was definitely non-existent. And my, but my Spanish was non-existent too in comparison to her. She had married in Argentine and moved to Argentina. Mm-hmm. But she worked with me. <laughs> and um, my host mother, a wonderful woman, also had a sister-in-law whose son, if you can follow that, married a black woman from Cuba and so she could tell I kind of was interested in that so she also had us um, meet and I think that also really just was such amazing moment to, to, to be able to connect with 
black, a black woman from Brazil or from Cuba and, and understand that, that blackness and that connection. And as I tell people, and maybe it is a black thing, but it was, it was beautiful because we were, all three of us were foreign in another country. And um, still that connection was there. And uh, I think that's what also drove my, my interest even more to know what happened to the black population in Argentina. That is just beautiful, that kind of, that alignment that you mentioned of, of these three diasporic women in Argentina, yeah. in Argentina in a place where they're not trying to talk about uh, the black. Rarely do they want to talk about it. And to have that, that connection, you know, and they understood both of them had married um, Argentine men. So that's how they had eventually moved to Argentina. And both of them had at that time, sons, little boys, um, but they just, they, they knew it. They were like, we understand, we get it. <laughs> yep, yep. So kind of um, thinking about your work as an educator and as a scholar, how do you think that your work then helps us understand? How does it contribute to our understanding of Afro-Latin American communities? Well, I think you see, I'm such a unique situation because what my work is, is a very much a historical analysis of Blackness and the erasure, more importantly, the erasure of Blackness mm -hmm. in, in Argentina. And I think in a wider understanding of how um, a country will and continue to perpetuate almost an anti-Black state. And I say this because as I looked into, it took me going back almost 200 years to really find a, a visible, uh, in terms of demography, demographics, numbers wise, uh, black population in Argentina. And so I think that's one of the things that, um, one of the many things that are, that allows us to understand the, you know, Afro-Latino, population or Latin American populations is sometimes you have to go back in order to move forward. And it's in discovering the various ways that, you know, Afro descended men and women contributed to Argentina. Um, that's what's propelling in many ways the, the most recent black activism in, in the country. Um, for example, um, uncovering Maria Remedios de Valle, who's considered the mother of the country today, Black woman who fought in the wars of independence, shot six times, um, escaped, um, escaped uh, imprisonment when she was ultimately arrested by the, um, by the opposing um, the, the, the royalists, as they were known as the Spanish army, she was caught and, and tortured and um, but escaped, like I mentioned, makes it back to Buenos Aires and then successfully is able to petition for her for her um, pension. Mm -hmm. uh, she's one of the few women that even one of the colonels even allowed to fight, literally physically fight on the front lines and. and you know, but that's just going back to move forward to know that 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 was always there. You know, in Argentina, I mean, it's just a powerful, powerful story. Um, what also makes it quite unique is that it's the white generals 
that went that came to her aid in order to make sure she got her pension. I thought when I was reading those documents, I said, "Wow, who would have ever thought?" Yeah. But uh, she she proved herself so so well on on the battlefield. I want and to I think about, that. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. I, I wanted to just ask about because um, you mentioned having to go back in time, centuries even, and just wondering what have been some of the challenges of getting. You know, getting access to these documents, locating these individuals, what have been some of the challenges with doing that? So um, I would say 90% of my experiences in the Court of the Base archives were phenomenal. And I, I cannot stress that enough. The archivists were amazing. You know, I was there every day for almost two and a half years. So, I mean, you can do that to get to know me because I'm getting this stuff was my attitude. <laughs> so, right, right. Um, but then there's also the local politics you had to deal with. And there was one particular archive and, and no, I shouldn't say the archive, it was the archivist who just made it difficult for people just because she could. And um, all the other archivists and archives in, in the city, um, graciously understood that I was not in a situation where I could stay there forever and come back whenever. Right. So most of them allowed me to take pictures okay, and digital, digital pictures and were, you know, what do you need next Barry? Come on, let's go, let's get it. Cause they would see me. I'd be taking up to with a tripod, 2,500 pictures a day, 1200 without it. I mean, I'm sure I'll have carpal tunnel here but you know but that's that's what it's like you know yeah. as i'm sure you could speak to michelle sometimes they're open sometimes they're not you when they when they're ready to work yeah. you got you just got to go with the flow exactly. but this particular archivist was like nope you can use a pencil and one sheet of paper and that's it and you're just like wow <laughs> i got to transcribe all this stuff you yeah. do and i wanted to scream you know i'm leaving in a week or two or something Thing, like come on and, and so and literally when she finally retired after 40 years of, of doing this the next person came in and said take all the pictures you want <laughs> wow. and so it really I could it really speaks to the politics of the archive which I think many of us that are that do work in Latin America know exactly what I mean and then you'd have some that would want to work and some that didn't and Others that, you know, wouldn't stop talking to you until, you know, uh, and, and wouldn't let you work until you answered whatever question they are interested in of the day. You become, you know, essentially um, a representative of the United States and they want to know everything that's going on. Why did they do this? Why did the House vote there? What's going on with the Senate? I mean, I'm amazed at how much they knew about, you know, how the government government works in the United States. I mean, it's it was amazing the levels of the civics that they had for our country, um, and they wouldn't let me work until I answered them either. So, um, yeah, all that stuff I had to get used to, and and. Um, being black in the archive as well and knowing that for some I was the first and I, I probably was maybe the only but the first definitely um, black scholar that they've ever encountered in their life um, let alone one from the United States 
uh, in Cordoba, it's so rare to have someone who's foreign. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> I remember my first couple of trips there, once they got to know me about a month or two, they'd ask me if I knew these three or four historians from America over the right. last 40 years. And, and I'd say, well, the one that came in 1981, I'm not, I'm not, I know of his work, but I don't know him personally. Um, the one that came in, you know, 2013, yep, I know him. And then the other one, no, but I know. So it's, it's funny how they would, you know, think that I could know these people. Um, so yeah, you know, it's, it's learning how to navigate these, the particular politics and personalities of yes. the archivist. That's how, that's, that's what I had to learn very quickly. Yeah, that gatekeeping is no joke. Oh, yes, yes. And so when thinking about that, I mean, you spent a lot of time there doing the work, but also you spent a lot of time, uh, you know, being in co connection with people there and the events there and issues there. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what you think are some of the most urgent issues for uh, Afro-Latin American communities today, especially in Argentina, but certainly more broadly and how it relates to you and your work. Well, definitely it's the issue, especially for Argentina's visibility, hmm. but you can speak of visibility in a broader sense. Because even if you have, you know, uh, representations of, of black, black people and populations, they're still not seen. <laughs> if you think in terms of political activism and um, not activism, but uh, political, economic and, and uh, social mobilities, that's what I mean. Uh, they're still not seen enough to actually acquire those, those aspects in, in their lives. So, you know, in Argentina, it's definitely a physical, you know, do you even recognize that there were first and foremost black people in the country and guess what, they're still there. Mm -hmm. um, in a country like Brazil, it's yes, you see me, but do you see me enough to actually put forward the effort, the money, pass the laws to actually allow for true social mobility. Mm -hmm. So I think that's that's what's pressing is, is to really recognize the voices of Afro-descended peoples and um, see them literally and figuratively uh, <laughs> in order to to put forward and and create uh, change. Change for the better. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm just thinking really that that piece about visibility, invisibility. Uh, has been is a is a common theme um, that I've talked to many people about that you know as you said in some places they're large populations but they're still not really seen and in other places they're not they're tiny populations and that makes it even more difficult Correct. to uh, to get yeah. those in power uh, at the very least to uh, to recognize acknowledge that history mm -hmm. their presence um, unfortunately we have to we have to wrap up soon so I want to get into um, some of your recommendations, because I'm sure a lot of people are like, Argentina, African diaspora, I need to know more about this. So in addition yeah. to your publications, and I know you've done a lot of interviews, what other kinds of resources would you recommend to people who want to learn more about um, Blackness in Argentina or Afro-Latin American communities more broadly? So for Argentina, believe it or not, I am at least currently right now, one of maybe two historians that actually have done or are currently working on the black black history in Argentina. So um, I say this because that limits um, sources in English. 
Okay. So the other scholar that has done some work on Afro-Argentina is Reed Andrews, um, who wrote, yeah, of course, your colleague. <laughs> um, but in, in, uh, for more present day questions of the racialization of blackness, you have a few more scholars that are working on that. Um, Paulina Alberto, um, Eduardo Elena, the what is it? Rethinking race in modern Latin America, for example. That that's something that I would say would be a good piece to start with. Um, for those that read Spanish, you've got a lot more <laughs> to work with. Uh, it's called, if you could uh, Google Grupo Estudios Afro-Latino-Americanos, um, that has been a group of scholars, mainly based in Buenos Aires, but um, has really pushed this, this conversation piece more. And uh, just visiting that website, you'll have access to various publications, but also they're well connected with the black activism um, that's taking place. And so I really, you know, for those that can, can read Spanish and um, speak Spanish, that would be a, a really great place to go. And, and of course the scholars, I, I always give credit to Argentine scholars and especially historians, they've done the work. Uh, it's an issue I think that's shared here where we sometimes just talk amongst ourselves more, uh, the pressures of what we have to publish and it just doesn't get to the general public, but scholars such as Monica Giardi, Florencia Guzman, um, Dora Selton, Chichina Ferreira, um, these, they, they've done some really great work in Cordoba and especially for the interior of the country um, that I would also recommend. Well, wonderful. I'm so glad you were able to mention some scholars in Argentina because again, we don't get to know about their work uh, very often because as you said, the pressures here and the pressures there and the translation mm -hmm. um, and all of that. So I'm so glad that you mentioned their work as well. And I just want to thank you so much again for joining us today. This has been a fantastic conversation and I'm looking forward to talking to you again uh, about these issues in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the future, definitely. Wonderful, thank you again. Always great to talk to you and visit with you, Michelle, always. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Dialogues and Afro-Latinidad, please subscribe to our podcast and tell a friend. For links to the resources mentioned in the interview, visit our website at michellereedvasquez.com forward slash podcast. <laughs>